Welcome to Mocktails and Masterpieces with the Indianapolis Chamber Orchestra. Today's episode is sponsored by Anthony Team Realty. Welcome ICO fans, Matthew Kramer here. We have a wonderful concert coming up here uh, at the Schrott Center for the Performing Arts, a program I've been looking to, forward to for quite some time. I'm joined today by our guest artists for this program, Nancy Ambrose King and Ryan King. Welcome to both of you. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. So uh, this this uh, concerto uh, by Miguel de Aguila, who is also the ICO's composer in residence this season, a great friend of mine and, and a marvelous composer. Um, it's uh, a work that you recently premiered um, and then have worked with him about the, you know, the genesis of this idea uh, of writing a brand new work for a clarinet and, uh, and oboe. Before we jump into it, though, I would love for our patrons to get a chance to get to know you better. Uh, where you are, and a little bit more about you personally. Nancy, let's start with you. Sure. Uh, I'm Nancy Ambrose King, and I am the professor of oboe at the University of Michigan. So I live in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and um, I have a great job and a great son to play this piece with. Which leads us to Ryan. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Yeah, I'm Ryan King. I'm the principal clarinet of the Michigan Philharmonic and a graduate of University of Michigan with Dan Gilbert. Um, and I'm also an electric bass player in my uh, alternate or my alter ego. So a uh, musician around all around there. That's marvelous. And you've already made the introduction there. If anybody couldn't surmise by the last name shared there that you uh, are, it's the first time for us, at least that we've had a mother son duo on stage performing with the chamber orchestra. We think this is just brilliant. And I'm very curious about the idea of, I mean, obviously uh, Ryan, you must've been uh, music exposed to music at a very early age, probably. Uh, as far back as you can remember. Uh, very curious about the idea of this this new concerto written by this marvelous composer, Miguel de Aguila. Where did the idea stem from? Well, we had been well, talking, um, my, my mom and I had been talking um, just sort of in passing about this idea um, because of the orchestra I play with and then uh, how close it is to Ann Arbor um, of potentially having something commissioned. Um, and then she had some ideas. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Well, I had played some pieces of Miguel's before, and I had known that the conductor of the Michigan Phil, where Ryan is principal clarinet, had a, a great relationship with Miguel and had uh, actually programmed several of his works over the years, which I had been aware of. And actually, that's how I became familiar with his music. So I just saw the opportunity as a great synthesis of a way to contribute to the literature for this combination of instruments that really doesn't appear with orchestra at all, um, plus an opportunity to perform with the Michigan Phil. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a win-win for everyone. Our patrons will know uh, Miguel's music. We performed his concerto in tango, which was premiered by the Buffalo Philharmonic, a marvelous piazzola-inspired work for cello and orchestra. We've done his conga, uh, recently his Salon de Buenos Aires, and a few other of his uh, smaller works. Um, but now this is different because this is actually not quite the premiere. It'll be the Indiana premiere, but only the second performance of this work. And I'm very curious to talk to both of you about uh, premiering works. I mean, here you are that, um, you know, no one's ever played the piece before. There's really no recorded legacy that you can go on when you're, you know, comparing Mozart 
oboe or a clarinet concertos, et cetera. Uh, you have the composer right there in person and the composer may or may not know the intricacies of your personal instruments. I mean, there's a lot of buy-in from the artist talking to the composer. Nancy, I'm curious uh, to start with you about the uh, this uh, work from the very beginning stage to where it's where it is now and actually on paper and being performed. Certainly. Well, yeah, I've had the pleasure of working with many composers over the years and premiering works. And I think it does present actually a wonderful opportunity to not have a recording of it, not have someone else's interpretation to go by. Um, even if you try very hard to, to come up with your own interpretation, sometimes you are swayed by what you've heard before. So having a, a blank canvas to start with um, is really, you know, I think it's it's a, a privilege and a great opportunity. Um, we, we gave Miguel free reign to come up with his creative idea and using his artistic voice to, um, in, to uh, create the piece that is in his heart and in his soul. So we really had no, um, other than a general time frame, you know, of, you know, somewhere between 15, 20 minutes. But other than that, we gave him carte blanche and we're just uh, overjoyed with the, the piece that he came up with. And Ryan, to you as well, the idea of doing brand new music that had never been played. I mean, diving into this work, what were some of your experience, experiences? Um, to me, as a musician, that's infinitely more exciting than playing things with a long recorded history, um, especially um, in terms of the amount of pressure. It feels to me quite a bit less. And as someone who enjoys composing music as well um, and the creation of new music, it's it's a very joyous thing to be um, part of the original recordings or the original performances. Um, and by no means would I hope that people that go and want to play this piece or any of the other pieces that we may have premiered at some point, um, would they use ours as the standard? Um, I think that music really thrives in the individual approaches and that no one should feel compelled to play like anyone else or play something the way you've heard it before. So it's it's nice to not have that pressure. And I hope that um, our performance inspires other people to pick up the piece, but not at all to play it like we did. And the premiere, as we mentioned, was with the Michigan Philharmonic. And Ryan, you are a member of that orchestra. What was it like to stand out front as a soloist in front of your colleagues and friends? It was a blast. I love everyone in that orchestra. I love Nan, the uh, the conductor and music director. Um, I have you know many friends there, so it was a really easy. Uh, it was a really easy feeling being up there to have the support of people who I uh, make music with frequently and joke around with frequently. You know, at breaks and sometimes during rehearsals. So it was great. I got the score for this, and as I've said, I've done a lot of uh, Miguel's music over many years, and the first thing that you get when you open the score is quite typical of Miguel's music, 716, 1016, 916, 716, and I remember, you know, a number of orchestras where I've uh, performed his music, you know, that on first sight, it's a little daunting because you're immediately reminded of uh, Rite of Spring horror stories or, you know, the complexity of the, the, the meter, but once you actually dive into his music, you realize there is kind of an organic nature to it. There's a lot of a perfectly natural feel, but was there a reaction similar to that um, in Michigan? Or, or if, if anyone was unfamiliar with uh, the way that Miguel meters his music, any of the complexity and rehearsal that things had to be worked through? Nancy? Um, 
I think, you know, when Nan Washburn, the conductor, got the score, she, I'm sure, had the same reaction as you did. And I saw actually a copy of her score, and it's quite written up with all the different meters. Um, we weren't there for the very early rehearsals, so we can't really say to what extent the orchestra was surprised or intimidated. But what I will say is that it looks on paper much more intimidating than it really is because mm -hmm. it just has a groove. And once you start playing it, you realize that the way he's written it is is just um, very appropriate and ideal for the, the swing. And if it didn't have that complex meter, then it wouldn't have the, the groove and the, the Latin feel that he brings to it. And Ryan, uh, Concerto Con Brio, do you find that there is a Con Brio nature to this piece? I would say so. I think there's, I think there's quite a bit of brio <laughs> uh, going around in this one. Um, I mean, it ends, it starts off with uh, obviously a ton of energy and it ends with it too, and a really beautiful middle movement. Um, and I would just have to agree with, with everything that's, that um, my mom just said about the um, looking at those numbers, it can be daunting, but there's, there's really an underlying sense of groove and, it sort of goes back to something that's been on my mind as uh, in composition recently, which is trying to stay away from composing music to impress musicians. Um, and some sometimes, you know, when, as a musician, you run into something where it's like, what is the point of me counting all this? Um, what is this for? How is this serving the music? And when, as you know, as a performer, when you are handed a sheet of music with that many meter changes, that there is a concern that you it's like, oh, I hope this isn't just, you know, something like a, just for the sake of it. And it's absolutely not that you don't, when we're playing this, we're not counting. We're not, you know, nervous about counting. It really does feel good. Mm -hmm. And that's the case uh, with every one of his pieces that I've done too. You've described it perfectly. It just settles into this groove that feels perfectly natural. And before you know it, you're not even concerned about, you know, those shifts from seven to 10 to, to nine, et cetera. From a conductor's perspective, you still have to be very clear about how you're delineating all that, I can say, because you can cause some significant problems if you were to mess that up. But this was recorded. You have the piano uh, and duo version of this uh, available. We're going to uh, cue up right now the third movement of this so our audiences get a sense of what they can expect. Uh, this is the third movement, Miguel de Acla's Concerto con Brio.
that was a marvelous performance from both of you. I can't wait to hear how all of this comes together with the, the full orchestra. Um, I, I do want to chat, just ask both of you because your careers are so fascinating. Obviously, growing up in the same household, Ryan, with a, 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 a musician whose experience uh, is so deep, Nancy. I, I'm very curious from your your perspective, teaching at University of Michigan, also performing, how all these different facets of your career uh, kind of come together, but also keep things so fresh. Anytime you're playing chamber music and shared experiences, teaching young students. Uh, I, I'm just very curious about how all of this has kind of, like I said, come together to create this very, uh, you know, eclectic career that you've got. Sure. Well, yeah, I do think that um, if I've had a goal in my career, it has been to promote the oboe as a solo instrument. And my career at the University of Michigan has really I, been ideally suited and given me the platform uh, and the microphone, so to speak, to go out into the world and do that. So um, I am I I feel like I've had it. Uh, I still do have a wonderful career with terrific students. And you know, the nice thing about having a large studio of students is that every year I have a new job, you know, I'm sad at, at the students that graduate, but I always keep in touch with them. And then every September I get a new group of personalities and oboe players that come in and it really keeps the job fresh. And, um, you know, the teaching combined with the playing is just, you know, an ideal pursuit for me. And I couldn't be more overjoyed to be sharing the stage with Ryan. And Ryan, I'm so impressed with what you've accomplished, obviously, in the classical world. But I want to know more about uh, some of these new endeavors in, in popular music as a bass player. Where did all this come from? You know, I imagine there was a lot of classical music in the household, but you found a way into a lot of really uncharted territory as well. Well, like, yes, yeah, there has been music, um, as you said earlier, since as long as I can remember growing up and definitely even before that. So it's been a, a constant presence. Um, and when I was getting into what you asked about um, rock music or pop music, um, studying at University of Michigan, I had the good fortune of just having a, one of those um, experiences of being at a, a concert at the right time in your life, hearing the right band in this case, that completely kind of shook um, this my perception of music. Um, and I didn't, that was something I didn't think could be shaken um, at, you know, having spent 21 years in a musical household and playing it. Um, and it, it just sort of showed me that music was very, very much alive after focusing a lot on music from the past. And that really turned my head to be toward to be looking at, I want to be part of this living um, side of, of music. So I picked up, uh, I've been playing guitar for about 10 years and decided to switch to bass and be part of the grooving component. Um, and I've worked the band that I play in called Stormy Cromer has been together for about 10 years now, and we're still going strong. I'm very curious to see where classical music, as we still call it classical music, is going. I mean, Miguel has incorporated salsa and Latin dance rhythms into his music. I mean, Gershwin was doing something very similar 100 years ago with uh, Rhapsody in Blue. And now we find rock rhythms, we find uh, an incorporation of all different styles of music. So it is constantly evolving. And I think the next 10 years particularly will take us in new directions all around. But we are looking very much forward to welcoming both of you to the Schrott stage with the Indianapolis Chamber Orchestra. 
for the second performance of Concerto con Brio by Miguel de Aguila. Nancy, Ryan, thanks for taking a little bit of your time to chat with us about this new piece. Hello again, I'm Dana Stone, the Executive Director of the Indianapolis Chamber Orchestra, and we're so glad that you've joined us for this episode of Mocktails and Masterpieces. ICO is once again partnering with Milkman's Daughter to uh, augment our special episodes with some specialty-made mocktails. So if you haven't been since uh, we've in started working with them, um, they are a mobile bartending service. Um, they cater parties and other events. They do mocktails and cocktails, but we're excited to try lots of their creations. Um, today, I believe they have created some drinks with our guest artists in mind, uh, Nancy, Ryan, um, King who are a mother-son duo that will be featured on this upcoming episode. So Dion, um, would you like to say just a little bit about Milkman's Daughter and about our first beverage? Yeah, for sure. So my name is Dion. Um, I created Milkman's Daughter, um, I'm gonna say 2020. Um, I was, it was kind of out of like boredom, but also out of necessity. Uh, I was bartending my way through grad school and I couldn't sit still. Um, I just, I have like a, an active mind and one thing led to the other, honestly. Uh, now we are a mobile bartending service. We cater to private events um, and uh, like we've done a couple of corporate parties, um, a couple of pool parties in the summer. It was a great time, um, but also mocktails so we have exclusively mocktail parties and we always encourage um, corporations and also just our private uh, individuals to have a mocktail because i think it's really important for everybody to feel included when hanging out with their friends definitely um i know we at ico really care about that inclusion component and making sure that people are welcome at all of our events and excited to kind of highlight these mocktails um since these episodes have been happening, you know, until August of this year, we hadn't actually had a mocktail in our mocktails and masterpieces. So it's fun to really add that part into what has been part of the discussion for quite some time. So tell me about this first drink with uh, Nancy Ambrose King, our oboe, oboist in mind. Yeah, okay, so she says that she loves mojitos. Like that was the one thing that, super, that stood out to me and I'm super excited because I have this Nobito. Um, and it is, I, I'm kind of partial to it. It's like my favorite. So uh, it's mint, some lavender simple syrup and cucumber. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm missing something, key lime juice. And it's topped with soda. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so I know best. when I poured this, the second I like took one sniff, I could smell the mint. So yeah, it's definitely freshly muddled mint. Let me know what you think. Oh, wow. It's really complex flavors. Like there's a lot going on here in a good way. Okay, good. I was like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not a bad way. <laughs> no, I mean, like I know some of the other beverages have had more like a subtle profile, like they've been citrusy, but I can really taste the lime and the heat and the mint. Yeah. I know there's cucumber, but I don't know if I taste it as much. Mm -hmm. The mints, the mints winning, which is yeah. just fine because mint is delicious. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a mojito, well, no right? Um, 
but it's one of my favorites. Like I, I thank you for saying like the like I guess commenting on the complexity because that's what a lot of mocktails miss. I think I think they lack complexity. But this is delicious. So our next beverage is with Ryan in mind, her son, who is the clarinetist on this concert. Um, okay, so for Ryan, you said this is the no G and T floral. Yes. Uh, tell us about that and um, maybe what makes it different from the mojito. No hito, sorry. Right, right. Um, no, that's a great question. So our our no G and T is something that um, I've created based on like um, gin and tonics, right? And Ryan told us that his favorite cocktail is an aviation. So an aviation is a gin-based cocktail. Um, I thought about the complexity, the what makes gin gin, right? Minus the alcohol. Um, and I don't know if you if you're a fan of gin, um, but most people when they think of gin for the first time, or the first time you thought of gin was like pine cones, right? Like just yeah. it's like outside. <laughs> I don't know. It's the only way I can describe it. Um, don't get me wrong. I love gin. I think it's, I think it's complex and very sophisticated in a way. Uh, but anyway, so one of the base components of gin is juniper berries. So I picked up some juniper berries and I muddled them. Um, let's see, boiled them. Also, what else do you think of when you think of gin? Um, like more citrus. So I bought in some grapefruit and some lime and then then one of the biggest uh gin names that i have i thought of was hendrix so i threw in some cucumbers right and i let that like dance with each other for a little bit um almost like a tea and then i poured it i poured it out after some time and that's what the no gmt was so for ryan he likes floral i added in a little bit of rose water and um, kind of, I think that set everything together. It is more earthy. Like it has that. Mm -hmm. And it does sort of have that gin flavor. All right. So thank you, Dion, for creating the Nojito and then also this No GNT floral with Ryan and Nancy in mind. And for those that would like to find Milkman's Daughter, um, maybe you can share once again your website and how they can get in touch if they'd like to have you um, serve at a party. And then if you have any inquiries, please like hit us up on uh, email at um, info at milkmansdaughterbar.com. Um, and our website is Milkman's Daughter. Thank you so much, Dion, and look forward to seeing you soon. A special thank you also to Anthony Team Realty, and our episode will start in just a moment.